All right, all right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of this delightful podcast and a bit of an announcement. I'm not sure if anyone except for uh, Brian and I are aware of this, but August marks the the one year point from when we started this very podcast. So for those of you who have been listening since day one, we appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate you being through all of the um, the growing pains, you could say, of starting a podcast and starting something new, whether it comes to audio issues and things sounding a bit weird because we use different microphones. And for those of you who are new, um, you're coming in at a very good time. This is where things start to get really good in the journey of this podcast. And so to any of the new listeners, I want to recommend that you guys go back and listen to the last few episodes. We've just kind of finished up, I guess, what you could call a mini series where we've talked about suffering and a hero's journey. And we really hit some things in those few episodes that don't just build on themselves, weren't just relative to those topics at the time, but have really laid a foundation for a lot of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast going forward. So if you haven't listened to those last few episodes, I encourage you to do so, but we appreciate you guys being here. Uh, Brian, happy one year anniversary. Yeah, this is kind of fun. To be able to do it with someone that uh, you connect with and share the same thoughts and and being able to bounce things off each other. A lot of the listeners don't know how much time we spend bouncing these ideas for a long time, like a lot of years. And coming to some kind of, I don't want to say stripping it down to some core things that this podcast was all designed for. But it really, it was built on the main idea of the four pillars of our Mission 300 program and mentorship program that we've been able to launch, see successful in Thailand, see the principles work everywhere in the world. And those principles of identity, strength, courage, and influence. And so those, there's always something wrapping around those four ideas somewhere through this podcast. And it's been exciting to take back a lot of the biblical stories and see the real heroes and the real uh, perspective of what they had to do and how we can relate to them and how they're a mosaic of our life and then take modern stories and pull those together. And so um, it's been great to be able to do that and to uh, bring people along in the commentary and the, the feedback that we've gotten uh, for their growth and their development, because there's something tangible we could look at. Like we need to see something versus just have mythical thoughts and theologies and all of those things that aren't really connecting. So we're hoping as we continue to go, we keep getting better at connecting real world to the truths that God our Father has been trying to impart into us and bring out in us in time, and especially in good times. And when life doesn't look like it's good, we can still stay core to those things and it makes a difference. And hopefully even this story today that we're going to talk about will help bring a little bit more of that out. Well, and that's what stories are supposed to do. I mean, for a long time, at least at least in my life, and I imagine at least a few uh, people listening can relate to this, all of these you know, theological concepts and biblical stories of things, it was all, it was all more information or you know, these are principles I need to live by. These are the Ten Commandments I need to live by so that I live a, a good and pleasing life on earth. And and for some reason, it all ended up just being kind of shoved into the background of my mind. Like, yes, I know these things are important, but I mean, 
the Ten Commandments might be applicable for me today, but there's not really a lot that I see tangibly interacting with my day-to-day. Like, I don't I don't approach conversations with people at work thinking, all right, now make sure I follow the commandments on this to have a good interaction. Like, th- those things have their place, but they weren't they weren't real and tangible. And I think at times we spend so much of our focus on the theology behind things and hearing great sermons about things and, you know, uh, having great, um, you know, titles and bumper stickers and things that sound catchy together and have great alliteration and, and all that stuff. But, but when we started this, we made the decision, we don't want to just have good information. This is stuff that if we're going to talk about it, it needs to be things that we have gone through, things that we have seen practically change our lives and the lives of other people. And it's interesting to me that these stories that we've talked about, and one that we're going to get today, they're meant to not just inspire people from this aspect of, you know what, I can look on the bright side and maybe tomorrow can be a better day. They're meant for you to integrate something in that with who you are and the core of your identity, and to move on from that. If it's just something motivational and observational, then, I mean, what's really the point of it? We can get entertainment somewhere else. And so that's kind of how I look at all these things, all these stories. I don't look at them anymore from, oh, that's a cool thing that happened. I look at them and I see, what's the relative to my life? What is inside of me that's reflected in this story that wants to rise up and wants to come out? Like a mirror. Like we, we need more mirrors like a mirror. and, and, you know, the Bible was meant to be a mirror of what we are. It, it was meant to be a story of our father to us so we could see what he looks like. We could see how he interacts. We could see the relationship of Jesus as his son and how he interacted on this, on this earth as, as a man. And the more we can capture a relatability to him. And what he's saying about us, the more the more the Bible doesn't become a theology book anymore. It becomes this this reality that is a part of us. That is these mosaics through history that are all a part of us. And we've talked about that on previous podcasts, so I won't go too far into that. But I was hoping today we could introduce a character that fits a lot of this last section that we are talking about. And this character is very unique because he was born in a time of of history. So he was born in 1905 in a place of New York that was known for its prostitution, everything that was bad. It was called Hell's Kitchen. So he was born in Hell's Kitchen, New York. And then keep in mind, in 1918, so now he he, he had uh, five siblings. They ended up moving to New Jersey. And in that time period of 1918, 20,000 New Yorkers were killed and died from the Spanish flu. So here's this being born into one of the most worst scenarios you could be born into, and then also having to survive a pandemic that was brutal on our world. So he came out of that, and then his rise. So we're going to go into this character. So I'll let you kind of kick off who it is and where where we're going to go. Yeah, a man by the name of James J. Braddock, Jimmy Braddock, or the Cinderella Man, as many people know him. And there is a a great movie uh, where Mr. Russell Crowe portrays this man. And uh, I I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but 
I remember it being really good when I did. You saw this more recently, I believe, Brian. But yeah, it's interesting when when I didn't um, actually didn't know about the situations of his birth and his early childhood, growing up in such a rough area, this pandemic coming in, and then the Great Depression. And, and not to draw too many parallels with where we are now, but man, this guy grew up in the thick of it, so much worse than the vast majority of any of us, and probably any of us, have grown up in. I mean, I know people grow up in some rough situations these days, and I don't downplay that whatsoever. But if you're looking for humble beginnings, if you're looking for, you know, a, a Cinderella story like this, I mean, good luck finding someone that grew up in a worse situation or went through more difficult times in history or had more suffering to fight against. The way you kind of brought him into that picture, it's like how many things that we can identify with, but there's a, there's something different. In fact, my daughter asked me, you know, you can go to a different country and you can kind of know their culture and uh, living in Thailand, there's things that she goes, I just, I, I really enjoy Thai culture. There's things about it I enjoy. And she made a comment. She goes, I don't really know what American culture is anymore. And it's so true. Are, are, hmm. are we, there's no, there's nothing like, you could have politics but culture is still existent, even with the politics that surround it. But now it's almost like our culture has become politics versus getting back to what we originally were. And I, I, I see in that story of James Braddock is you see these core values that were written into him, that whatever he was facing, whatever he was going through, those core values wouldn't change. For instance, a man keeps his word. A word was his bond. So that was one. Two, no matter how hard it gets, Americans win. We're, we're going to win somehow. Somehow we're going to come through this. Somehow we're going to make this. That, that was an inbred thinking of that era. Then you, then you have all these things they're facing, and, but they wouldn't compromise what those core values were no matter what they were facing. I'm not saying everyone did, but there was a cultural belief that surrounded that. Um, in that time period. So you could, you could say that. I remember George Patton, when he was talking to his soldiers before they go into world, uh, in his great speech, before they embark into uh, the battle against Germany and, and Nazism, he said, America's love is a winner. We win. Like, there's something in that, that a lot of people get offended by that right now. I don't know why you get offended by that. It doesn't mean you're arrogant. It doesn't mean you're better than someone else. There's something in you that just refuses to take what's been thrown at you and sit back and say, this is what it is. They keep fighting. They keep moving forward. They keep pressing forward. And this is that was culturally all the way up until probably more recent times. So even in the midst of all the problems, there was something in, in that that uh, was core. You know, I, I kind of look at that as there's a difference between going out and looking to start a fight versus saying, look, if a fight comes up, I'm going to win. There's a very big difference. And I think that was more of the spirit at the time was, you know, when something hits the fan, when there's a conflict, we don't, we don't want to fight. We don't want a conflict. But if it comes to my house, I'm going to win. I'll avoid it because I'm not looking for it. But we, we a lot of times translate that to, well, you know, you're just looking to for someone to exert authority over, to show her power over, to make yourself feel. And we have all these 
things that we project on it. But I think that's really the heart of it is if something comes my way that is coming against me, my people, my family, my community, I'm going to win. That's just the way it is. That's a good character trait, I would say. That might sound controversial, but I think that's a good character trait. I think it's a great character trait. In fact, when we sit down and watch anything, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. We don't really spend time reading stories and watching books about the guy who failed miserably and that was the end of the story. <laughs> or the or the woman that went after something and was just destroyed. It, we we don't watch that. We want to see something emerge because deep down in us, Christian concept to overcome. It is inbred and it's not an American idea. You see this in any culture where there's a deep uh, belief in what God has done in them. When there's been something that changed in in that individual, they have there's an overcoming feeling. It doesn't mean uh, that everything's easy. It doesn't mean they win in the manner that we would like them to win, but there's something in them that just keeps them moving forward. And this story of James Braddock, it, it demonstrates what that looks like. And it ties into the Job stories that we were talking about earlier of how that all looked. So one thing to note about James Braddock is, is so he comes through all this growing up, he becomes a fighter. And just so you understand what fighting and boxing was at that time period, the New York Yankees would have about 6,000 people going to a game. If there was a, a, a title weight or a, 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 a boxing match, they could get up to 60,000 people going to watch the match. Boxing was the sport because it represented anyone. You could be black. You could be Irish. You could be whatever you were. You could be a fighter. You may not be able to get into a baseball team. You may A lot of that was... There was a lot of issues there as the nation's trying to battle all of their own issues. But as a boxer, you could be that no matter what. So we see him pursuing boxing. He ends up becoming a top fighter. He becomes a winner. He's never been knocked out. And he's about ready in 1929, I believe. He's um, going for a title match. He ends up losing. And some say that he broke his hand in the match. But regardless, he, he starts this losing process and he loses the title bout. Now he's made a lot of money fighting. So it, it was a very lucrative sport, even in that time period. So he put all of his money away in savings and he was very frugal. He put his money into uh, the stock market and uh, into a cab company. And then two months after he loses uh, his, his chance for the title, the stock market crashes. And within over a four-year period, he loses everything. Everyone lost everything. No banks were insured, none of that. So all of his savings was gone. All of his stock market was gone. And they find themselves, he's married now, and he finds himself living in a basement apartment for $25 a month. They have no money. They have no, they, they, their bills are all past due. He's in a horrible, horrible situation. Jason, how do you respond to that? You finally are going after your dream and you're just about there and you're doing the American dream or you're just you're you're hitting all these points of success and your career ends and then the world radically changes and a depression hits and you lose everything that you've worked for. How do you respond to that? You know, I know how most people want to respond to that. You know, they'd say I you know, I'd figure out a way I would get another job. I would do whatever it takes 
to provide or, you know, I would, I would get through it because I'm tough. And I think most people would respond that way. But what I'm, what I see more often, what I see people doing more often in situations like this is, oh man, the stock market crashed. Oh man, my company went under. Oh man, the bank went under. So it's their fault that I lost everything. And so they're the ones that better do something about it. Or in, in another light, the government allowed this to happen, so the government better do something to fix it. And you know what? Maybe maybe there's a valid case to some of those situations, but what I see people do is almost in a sense point the finger and play the victim card. As if the world was fine and everything was perfect and then someone else came along and did something that ruined my life. And so now I'm angry at them and I'm going to let that anger simmer for a while and I'm going to direct it towards a person or an organization or a political party because they are the reason that I'm in this crappy situation now. And you know what? Again, maybe there's a case to be had there, but I don't see him pointing the finger at the rest of the world. I mean, it's not that he's ignorant of what's going on, but you'd mentioned there was a conversation he has with someone where where, where there's a person that's wanting to organize and fight against the power or stand against something or protest something. And, he's, and he essentially says, what, what are you trying to come against? It sucks for everyone. Everyone's in pain right now. The world's burning for everyone right now. And so what are you going to come against? What he does instead is find the strength and the integrity that was already in him, and he walks that out. Now, that looks... That might look in you know different situations for different people, but one of the things that's interesting for me in his story is that he never looked, he never actively sought a handout from someone else to fix where he was. In fact, for most people at that time, that was that was a you know really a shameful thing to do. It was an embarrassing thing to have to go and ask for charity, to beg for money, to get a government handout. That was something you didn't want to have to do because that was passing the buck. That was giving up responsibility for your own life. And yet today, it seems we're all too eager to point the finger at someone else. And we've got our list of reasons why that's okay for us to do. And again, maybe for some situations, that is. I'm not, we're, we're never here to say this is what you should or shouldn't be doing. So for instance, as I'm talking here, I'm not saying you should or should not be on unemployment if you lost your job. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't you know, accept uh, government welfare or something like that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm looking at is an interesting principle in this life of a man who is a hero that overcame incredible things. And it's interesting how holding to his integrity as much as he could got him through a difficult time like this. Well, and then throw in the mix of this, he's doing some fights that barely paid his rent if he won the fight. And he was having to do them all the time. So he's fighting all the time and he broke his hand. And so he kept breaking his hand, but he had to keep fighting. So there was this, this time where the doctor said, we got to do surgery on your hand, but it would be $1,400. Well, he, if your rent is $25 a month and you could barely pay that, you're not coming up with $1,400 to do surgery on your hand. So what he ended up doing is going into a fight and he knew if he broke his hand again, then the doctor could just set it. He wouldn't have to have surgery. So he did. But as a result of breaking his hand, not only did he get decommissioned as a fighter, 
he now ha- couldn't work with that right hand and he had to go down to the docks and go work and get just day day labor jobs to try to make ends meet so now he goes home he's lost everything living in squalor uh has a fam has three kids and now he can't work because he broke his hand so no one's going to hire him on the docks and he can't go fight anymore and he's been decommissioned he has come to the absolute bottom of life and so this 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 idea of well you don't know how hard it is for me it's always important you may have it so hard that no one can relate to but i disagree that no one can relate to it there has been people throughout time that has had worse situations but they found something within themselves and a faith in god of a core value that i can get the strength from god to keep moving forward and he did he ended up putting shoe polish on his on his cast so he could go work but the problem was when he worked the docks he couldn't lift well with his right hand because he broke it and keep in mind what made him great and what made him feared as a fighter up to this point was his right hand he wasn't good with his left hand but people feared his right hand that that's where his strength was but now he can't use that hand and so it's interesting that working on the docks he was forced to walk almost 12 miles a day to different docks to get work and then he had to use his left hand and strengthened his left hand so in the middle of all that because he kept moving forward his weakness was actually becoming and would be soon to be revealed his strength it's so cool to me to see that you can call it determination where he's just going to figure out a way to make it work as long as he can to the best of his ability. And at some point it does it does run out. There's things that you just can't do. But he gets creative in finding ways, here's how I could go work. Here's how I could sneak in, you know, with the the shoe polish on the cast. Here's how I could sneak by and do this. And then is because of that and I don't want to draw a correlation between, you know what, you need to go through something terrible so that strength builds up in you. Not necessarily, but because of what he went through, strength did rise up. And it's interesting that we, you and I were talking about this before. Um, there is a, there is, um, his faith was very important to him. He was a Catholic man and he would talk to the priests of, uh, you know, his church at the time. And there's a quote that, that one of them said, and they would tell him, to keep his faith, and that God would provide him with the strength to carry on. That's a very different encouragement from, you know what, just hang on and God will take everything away and make it all better. No, God will provide you the strength to carry on. And as I'm looking at that, that's the principle that applies to him and applies to us today. Because it's very easy, I think, to get caught up in the, all right, well, you know what, his situation was so much worse. And so I just need to buck up and and get over it. But that really doesn't help us if we're being honest. Like when if my daughter who's 5 scrapes her knee, falls off her bike, and I come to her and I say, "Well, you shouldn't cry. It's not that bad. The kid down the street broke their arm." Like that's not that doesn't bring comfort, that doesn't inspire her, that doesn't encourage her. It doesn't do anything because I'm invalidating what she's going through and feeling. But if I can bring strength to her in that moment, then that changes the game because now she's not having to compare herself and see me as some distant father who doesn't care that she's facing this physical and emotional pain right now because the pain we face is real whether it's as severe as he went through 
or whether it's what we're going through today. And we can point the finger and say, who's got it worse all day, but that doesn't accomplish anything. But it's interesting to me to see this principle throughout his life of it's not that things are going to magically change and get better, but you will be provided with the strength to carry, to carry on and go through it. Yeah. And you can see, you can see this building block in his life, like to go from where he was born, go through a pandemic, rise up, become a boxer and actually start achieving his dream. And then to lose it all. And then to be decommissioned and told you don't get to do your dream anymore. You have to do something else. And, and now he's having to work. He's not recognizing the development of his left hand. I should add that in there. He doesn't know that's what he's trying to do. He's just keeping moving forward. And there was a scene where he comes home and he couldn't get shifts on the dock. And his son uh, goes into a butcher. Sh- he, well, he comes home and his son had stolen a sausage. And so he gets his son and takes him back to the butcher shop and they return the sausage his son stole. And he said, son, we don't steal. I I think this, these truths, like if we could just catch this, no matter what, we don't steal. Do you understand? And his son's apologizing. And then he gets down on his knees and he said, promise me, we don't steal. No matter what happens, there's people in worse off situations than we are. And his son says, dad, my friend got sent off to another home because they couldn't afford to feed him. And then his, he, on his knees, he looks at his son and he says, I promise you, no matter what, they, I will never send you away. And his son broke down, which is why he stole to begin with, because if they have food, then they wouldn't be taken away. And it was interesting, this, this, this core value. And he's saying this in the midst of, I don't have work. I can't do the thing that I'm trained to do. I've been decommissioned from that. I've lost everything. And yet he's making this core promise. And I think it wasn't, it wasn't a random promise because inside of the, uh, James Braddock's concept Words meant something. Promises meant something. These things were core to him. And then he goes off to work. His kids get sick. The electricity gets turned off while he's gone to work. Um, all it, it, It's all coming in worse, right? Well, maybe not right, but just so you can... It can't get any worse, and now it's getting worse. And he comes home and his wife, who's a great support of him, is seeing her kids sick. So she sends one off to a sister and another to another relative. And he walks in the door and he said, where are the kids? And she says, you weren't here. You weren't here to experience what I hear. I got to protect the kids. And he has this look of just absolute emptiness. And he looked at her and said, I made a promise that I would never send them away. And it's just like every bit of life you could just see is ripped out of him. And he walks out the door. And many people were just walking away from life. They were just leaving their families. This was, this was such a horrible time. But what he did is he went down to the relief office and he did the most humiliating thing that in his eyes that he could do is he went and got a handout 
from the relief office, which was like the welfare system. And the lady behind the counter go, looks at him with just sorrow and says, Jim, I never thought I would see you here. Like the reality of this world was just collapsing. But he only gets enough money for half of the electricity to, to be turned back on because that's what they needed was the electricity in order to have their the kids back. So he goes to the fight promoters. So there, he goes to Madison Square Gardens and he goes to the fight promoters and they're all kind of sitting around in their lounge area. And he walks in and he said, you guys know I wouldn't be here if I wasn't at the last point of my life, but I just, I lost my kids. If you could help me get my electricity be turned back on and you could just see the shame on him and the, the absolute lowliness of despair and he made enough, uh, almost enough to get his electricity. And he went back to his trainer, the guy that helped promote him, that believed in him. And he said, I'm sorry. And the promoter says, what do you have to be sorry for? And I thought this is the pr profound, and he gave him the remainder of the money in order to get his electricity turned on. That began the turning point, not just in him, but also in the one that believed in him from the beginning. And we don't have time to break down this whole story. You've got to go watch the movie Cinderella Man. It's probably one of the most accurately displayed stories of a person. Well done. But you could see this turning point that someone is starting to believe in him. And I think this becomes such a critical point is there's people wanting to believe in you. And we don't let them in. And it was at that moment of his brokenness that basically a death to everything that he had done to build up to this point came to an end and he and he stepped out and things began to emerge so that is the backdrop of where he's in and the hell that he's living in right now so let me ask you a question on this because as you're explaining that part of his life this this comes into my mind why on earth would anyone want that kind of a journey? Because if you think about it, if we're looking at this from a hero's journey, and we've been talking about that for a while, wouldn't it be so much easier to be one of the people that don't have to go through that, that just, I, I guess you could say, skate by or get by with the bare minimum through that tough time, don't don't put yourself out there so much. Just accept. Like, couldn't he have just accepted um, from the relief office assistance and gone through, gotten through that way? A lot of people were trying to to get through that way. Couldn't he have done that? Couldn't have he? Couldn't he have chosen a path that had less of that guilt and shame and that that anxiety, less of that pain in a journey? Because ultimately, I think that's what most people default to if faced with a clear choice of here's a path where there's suffering and pain, but it's a hero's journey, or you can go down this path where you're, you're not on a hero's journey, but there's also not the pain and the, the, the toil and the work and all the problems that come along with that. Why would someone choose what he chose? Why wouldn't someone just send their kids away? You know, because you can look at that as, you know what, it's just a temporary thing. We'll send them away for a while. Or like you said, a lot of people just, I'm out. I'm just, I'm just leaving. They'll be fine without me. The people will take care of them. I'm out. He said something interesting, and it ties into your point that you're making earlier, is 
when he told his wife, if we lose our family, all of this was worth nothing. None of this was worth anything. Like his core value piece, the thing that he valued the most, if that's gone, then nothing's worth fighting for. And he wouldn't let go of that. And we see later on, so for about 13 months, he's on relief. And in that time, he's working the side docks, he's on the re- on a little bit of welfare, and he's he's still pushing forward. And then one day, his his trainer and boxing promoter showed up, all dressed, all dapper, and in his in his looks like he's prominent. And he gives him money, says, "I got you a fight." And it's it's not a reinstatement of your license. It's a one-time thing, and it's worth $250. Now, keep in mind, your rent's $25 a month. So $250, one-time fight. And, you know, James is like, opportunity. It, it's there. I've kept, and here's the opportunity. And it wasn't about the money. It was about his family. This was the core thing. You could tie it to that, but it, it wasn't really about that. It was about being able to keep his family together. And the the promoter's saying, yeah, but you need to know who you're fighting. He goes, I don't care. Like, he was so grateful to have the opportunity. And he'd be going to Madison Square Gardens, and it happened to be that this next contender for the heavyweight, uh, the person he was supposed to fight had a bailout. And they couldn't get any good fighter to come and fight him because they didn't want to lose to him. They didn't want to lose their record. They didn't want to, so they could not get someone in a two-day notice to go and fight him. So he said, I got you because you're nothing. And then it's like the 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 promoter said, I don't mean it like that. Hmm. It's just they don't look at you as anything that's worth risk. You're, you're worth the risk. They just need a, a someone to stand in. James did not take that as humiliation. He took it as, I have an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So he goes in, and he ends up winning the fight. He hadn't eaten. He had been eating from the soup lines. That's how he fed himself, so he'd have enough money to feed his family. So he would go eat the soup lines. They ran out of soup that day, so there's this scene where he's getting ready to go on this fight, and his stomach's just growling, and he hadn't eaten. But when he got up, he ended up beating this guy because his left hand now was as strong as his right hand. And everyone knew him as a righty. And now everything changed. And he knew that was his last fight. It was one time. And he got to go out in Madison Square Gardens and and something emerged. But that began his new journey forward. And I just think it's very interesting that for 13 months, he stays on welfare. But when he finally started winning his purse, and he and he he had ended up having two more fights, and it kind of grew that way. But in after that first fight, the the trainer, uh, his trainer and and promoter came and brought him some, um, gave him some training money, so he wouldn't have to go work the docks. That he actually trained for this next upcoming fight because he got a new fight with um, this next guy that was in line to be a contender. And his wife got really angry. She didn't want to lose her husband to fighting. She actually was almost happy that he broke his hand so he couldn't fight anymore. But it was going so deep against the core of what he was that uh, it, it was a struggle. So she, in 
to James, his wife said, okay. But then uh, May, his wife, went to that trainer's house. So she goes up to his nice luxury apartment, knocks on the door, and just starts basically cursing him for using his, her husband for money, that he's just a piece of meat for you to profit off of, and all this. So her opinion of this guy was so bad until they let him in. And so he opened the trainer opens the door, lets lets her into his apartment, and he had sold everything to pay for James Braddock to fight. And when she recognized that, the two wives are sitting in the room. They have this conversation, and it comes out in the conversation that the trainer sees so much in James that he risked all of their livelihood to see James rise. And I think we don't we often have these opinions of people when they're they're believing in us, that they have a different motive, that they're they're just using us, but they're also risking everything on our behalf. And I, I think that picture is so profound of how much God our Father, He believes in us. He risks everything for us. He risks the sacrifice of Jesus. He ransomed His Son. He paid for our slavery. He paid for everything because He so believes in us. And we should take that and let it fuel our veins of, I don't have to make it easier. I'm going to draw out of you what you really are. And now I'm not going to tell you the rest of the movie because you got to go watch the rest of the movie. But this is this is such a profound moment. And I, I think we, we overlook that because we want to get lost in blame. And the moment we start blaming, we cannot see the opportunities. We will misjudge people that are trying to actually believe in us. We will misjudge our surroundings. We will lose sight of the thing that will actually bring the glory out on the inside of us. Now, are you saying the suffering made him this way? No. The response to a world that was decaying, corrupted, breaking, everything, and all of that, his response to it and his core values of what who he was and what he was fighting for brought him to that place without blaming another person. And it is just a profound moment. Exactly. He had a core value that was above everything else. And I can't help but wonder, I've, I've, you and I have talked about this recently, asking yourself this question, what is the thing that you value the most? What's the line you won't cross? What is at the core of you? What gets you out of the bed in the morning that, that pushes you as a desire? And how many people don't have that or don't know that that is an optional way to live? Because we've had everything externally motivate us. We've had, well, I need to pay my bills next month, so I better have a job that I go to. Okay, that's probably a good idea to do. But is, if that's the core motivating desire, then you're missing out on what makes a hero walk this journey. Because that will only get you so far. And then seeing this other piece of a of, of figure that believes in you so much that it's not just words, it's not just encouragement of, hey, buddy, you can do it, I'm in your corner. It's someone that is actively giving of what they have because they see what you are and what you are becoming, and they want to be part of that journey and bring it out of you. And I think so many times we underestimate that aspect of God because he's He's just seen as someone with a checklist or a list of rules, or he's seen as someone that is distant 
and is hoping that we will live up to our potential and our promise. You know, one thing is he, after he started winning some purses, he went back after 13 months with all the money that was given to him from the relief office and paid it back. And it was noted, like everyone knew this about him. It, be, it went into the newspapers and he didn't do it for a show. He was known for someone of honor and he took personal responsibility seriously. It, this is what he was known for. He beca- became such a heroic icon in an industry that was, uh, in, in boxing, which was so popular in, in the United States at that time and around the world. And he became someone that inspired a nation in the midst of everything that they were facing. He became an, a, 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 a something that you could hold on to literally and see that we can rise again. We can rise above all of this. And I, I, we don't re- recognize that us just living our life from personal responsibility, core honor, um, our value system of knowing who we are. And again, we don't know that until we know our Father. And he begins speaking what he is. He believes in us. He sends Jesus and Jesus believes in us. The Holy Spirit believes in us. And we can't do it without him. We need new tools. The tools that brought us to this point aren't going to be enough. But then he begins, everything that the enemy and, and chaos and destruction is coming against you, they it doesn't realize that it's actually developing the thing that is going to make us actually stronger. And if we persevere, we find new strengths coming out, new gold in us coming out, new perceptions coming out. And all of a sudden, we have the strength to go face it. And it takes courage. It takes courage to rise up again. It takes courage to sometimes go into scenarios that you thought I will never go into. It takes courage to trust in someone believing in you. But then you begin influencing. He didn't go out to become a hero. He didn't go out to try to inspire the world. He was just fighting for his family. And what did it do? It inspired the world. It is really a powerful story. And there's so much metaphor. There's so much um, uh, truths that can be pulled from it. We can see that same picture in, in biblical characters and how important it was for him to win and how important it was for the people around him. And there's a, there's one scene where his wife, he's going into this one fight and she's scared because the man he's about ready to fight has actually killed people in the ring. She's terrified. She didn't want to hear anything. So she went to the church to pray, to get away from it. And when she went into the church, the church was full. And it was the, the, the priest was up on the stage and he had the radio on. The whole church was listening to the fight. And at that moment, she recognized this is so much bigger than James. This is so much bigger than him and me and this fight. So she went down to uh, Madison Square Gardens, went into the locker room and said, I believe in you. And he needed that. He needed to know she was behind him because this is why he was doing it. And it, it changed everything. And so this takes courage. It takes courage on all parts, everyone involved. It took courage of the, the trainer to invest in him and take the risk. It took courage 
on behalf of the uh, people around him to support and believe in him. And it took his courage to actually step into the ring and face it. We really, we don't, we don't have many of those stories today. And if someone does that today, they are looked at as evil. They are looked at as bad. They are looked at as selfish. They are looked at, we, we have taken the thing that our, our world needs the most and made that a bad thing. Why? Because if individuals realize what they can be in the power of God and in who they are in God and know their identity and rise in their strengths, they become a motivation to the world but a threat to those that have capitalized on people's misery. It is, it is unbelievable what our world has become. It is opposite now. But we need those people. We need you to be you and take whatever's in front of you and, and grab it with both hands. And if you don't have the skills now that you once had to accomplish this and you can't go, take a look and let the Father tell you who you really are. Let him reveal an aspect of himself that will bring out new strengths, new realities, new perceptions, and then just keep moving forward. And you will find you are actually inspiring a world around you, and we need that. That is a real hero. That's a difficult journey, but that is how you make sons and daughters. The alternative that you just laid out, which the vast majority of people in our world today, Christians included, they opt into that other thing, thinking that that's the way to a comfortable good life. That's how you make slaves. But if you're trying to raise up sons and daughters of a king, this is the way. It's things like this. It's it's identities like this with values, having a father that believes and supports that person. And they rise up and stand for what they are when every voice around them tells them they're wrong. And voices around will also give you some scriptures to point out why you're wrong, by the way. I've seen that happen. And this isn't, again, to, to try to goad you into a certain decision. This is to help you see who you are who you were created to be, and what is actually inside of you. Because for far too long, the world has gotten very good at keeping us pacified and having no idea what we're truly called to be. And I'm going to add, some of you have had great victories in your life, and you don't necessarily look at yourself as heroes, but you've, you have been through it, and you let grace take you to another place. You've, you've, you've won some battles. Rather than just having sympathy or pity and charity on other people around you find someone that you can believe in and then stand with them use your your strength and believe and see what's in them and stand the test of time and help bring them out not just give them something to soothe their time give them yourself that will lift them that was what discipleship was that is what mentorship was. That ultimately is what the meaning of that is, is I'm going to take what I am and I'm going to believe in you and I'm going to invest in you and I'm going to help bring it out and we're both at risk. If it fails, we both fail. But if you win, you win. Like we, we have to change this, this idea of what, what ministry is. I mean, you really look at it. Jesus yeah. came yeah. and invested everything of his life 
into a few. And he drew out of them and he risked everything for them and they changed the world. We, we, that's, that, that is the essence of what uh, discipleship is. It's the essence of what mentorship is. So from both levels, we could be a heroic mentor or a heroic of just taking what's been given to us and bringing it out. And then it both, it creates a cycle. Well, I feel like this is a very timely topic considering everything that's going on in our world. And I hope you guys are taking it to heart. As I know you do, you wouldn't be listening if you were the kind of people that let things go in one ear and out the other. But I think our, the people that have been listening and the conversations I've been having, this is real for us. This isn't just bumper stickers on a car or fun little sayings we can post. This is real for us, and I know it's real for you guys. And so we appreciate knowing that you guys are on that journey too. So until next week, stay strong and stay in the fight.